Father God, thank you for a chance to be with my brothers and sisters here tonight. Thank you for what you've already done uh, in students' lives here tonight. And pray that you would have your way, God, as uh, we just communicate your word, as we study your word together. God, would you prepare our hearts beforehand to be good soil to receive your word. Holy Spirit, would you communicate uh, exactly what you want spoken and nothing else. Um, God, that your word would be good seed uh, and find good soil in our hearts, God, and bear a harvest of faith, a harvest of righteousness in each of us. God, uh, by your Holy Spirit, would you shape and mold us to be the men and women of God that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. My son Thomas is in sixth grade, and he joined the middle school band this year. He joined band. He's doing percussion, right? Anybody do percussion? Anybody play drums? Uh, so he, he had a heart to do percussion. He was interested in that. When they had the band tryouts, that's just what he really excelled at. So he, he's doing percussion now. He's playing drums, and he's playing... It looks like a xylophone, but they call it something else. Uh, and so he's, he's got all this gear he's got to carry to and from school, right, uh, for, for percussion. He's got this bag that's got the big snare drum in it. He's got the bag that's got the... The sticks? sticks? No, it's not sticks. It's like, it's a xylophone looking thing, but it's called something else. Glockenspiel? Is that really the name of it? Anyway, so he's got to carry this around. You're like, oh. And so clearly none of y'all, clearly none of y'all did band, but that's okay. <laughs> Thomas started band this year, and he's excited about it. But let me tell you, walk it, watching this kid walk to school with all this gear loaded up, because he's got one bag around his arm uh, that, that has the big old snare drum in it, the other, the other bag that has the glockenspiel in it, and his backpack, and a big old binder he's got to have for one of his classes. He's, I mean, you know, he's, he's 11 years old, but, but he's still probably maybe 100 pounds, you know, and, and seeing him weighed down with all this stuff, it's like he's going to go on some big expedition or something on his way to school. He's got all this, all this gear weighing him down, this, uh, this weight weighing him down. And, and he, not that he's excited about school in the first place, but, 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 but even if he was excited to get to school, he's got that weight that's going to make it a little tougher to get there, a little tougher to fit through doors, a little tougher to get in the car, uh, those kind of things. Um, we're talking tonight about, about weights, about burdens, about things that weigh us down, um, um, you know, have you guys ever, ever again, been super weighed down? Uh, maybe, maybe you had to carry just the biggest project to, to, to school. Uh, maybe you agreed to help a friend carry something. Say, hey, I need your help, you know, moving something out of my apartment. I need your help carrying this couch. I need your help. I just got to get it from here to over there. And you're a good friend, so you agree. And then you realize this thing is way heavier than, than you planned on. What have I signed up for? I did not agree to all this. Uh, I'm trying to be a good friend. This is supposed to be a joyful experience, but the weight of it is, is kind of sucking all the joy out of it, right? I'm kind of miserable. When is this going to end? You know, so Thomas has, has this big load that he's got to carry. Uh, when, when kids are real small, they also come with lots of accessories that have to be carried around. Only, whereas Thomas now carries it himself when, when he was a baby, who carried it? Yeah, mom and dad carried it. He's got his, his diaper bag, his stroller, all the other miscellaneous accessories that come with babies and toddlers. You get to carry all that stuff around wherever you go. And then when the kid gets tired of walking, you also carry them, right? So, so whatever, wherever you're going, whatever adventure that you're on that day, um, you are weighed down with a lot of gear. Let's say you're going to like a theme park or something like that or, or some kind of fun activity, a carnival, a fair. Uh, that's supposed to be a joyful, fun thing, right? right? Go, going to the theme park is supposed to be fun. Going to a carnival is supposed to be fun. I mean, you're the dad, right? You're, you're, you're the mom. You've got all that gear, and then you've got the kid that says, I'm tired of walking. My feet hurt, right? And so you're carrying them too. You know, what's supposed to be a fun and joyful experience is all of a sudden, when is this going to end? When can I set all this down? When, when can I go sit somewhere? Um, 
What have I gotten myself into? That's what we're talking about tonight. The way, the way, man, burdens and weights uh, can 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 suck the joy right out of our lives. Man, experiences that are supposed to be fun, enjoyable, uh, we get so weighed down that they're miserable. Um, we're going to be again continuing our series in First John tonight. Um, we're going to be picking up in uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Last week, we kicked things off by looking at John's introduction to the letter, uh, where he explains to us his purpose in writing this letter is that our joy would be made complete. He's writing this letter because he wants you to have complete joy. And that's the name of the series uh, that we're doing over these next few weeks is Complete Joy. John says, my purpose in writing is that your joy would be complete. And God wants you to have a life that's full of joy. That's full of joy. He doesn't want you to be miserable. He doesn't want you to be depressed. He wants your life to be full of joy. And John says, I'm writing this letter so that you know how to have that kind of joy. Uh, There's a specific way uh, that you can act and behave and live that's going to make it possible for you to experience that kind of joy. And so in the introduction we looked at last week, uh, and if you missed last week, that's fine. The message is available online. Uh, But but, but in brief, what what he's sharing is, man, the way that you're going to have joy, the way that you're going to experience complete joy is by having a relationship with God through Jesus. And John said that he was an eyewitness to the person and work and ministry and life of Jesus. He says, I was there several times in those first four verses. He said, I saw with my own eyes. Right? I was there. I heard it. I saw Jesus. I touched Jesus. I saw with my own eyes. I saw with my own eyes. Uh, man, man I, I was there. I saw who Jesus was. Uh, you can trust me when I say he was every bit as good as, I, as you've heard he was. Right? Every bit as amazing as you've heard he was. These stories you've heard about Jesus are absolutely true. John says, I was there. I was an eyewitness. I saw it with my own eyes. And the only way that you're going to experience fullness in this life uh, is by having a relationship with God through Jesus. So tonight we're picking up in verse 5 uh, as John is beginning to expound on man, what a life looks like uh, that is in fellowship with God. So, so you put your trust in Jesus. You've entered into this relationship with God. And what does it look like to walk that out and experience that complete joy in every area of your life? So again, picking up in 1 John Chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Let's take a look at it. John writes, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light. There's no darkness in Him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So last week we talked about Jesus is the one that makes it possible for us to have fellowship with God, for us to have a community of believers. Um, he's the one that, that makes a way for us because if we did, he did on the cross. Uh, you know, his, his sacrificial death on the cross makes it possible for our sins to be forgiven, makes it possible for us to be right with God, have a relationship with God. But John says if we continue in darkness... If we continue to live in darkness, uh, man, we don't truly have relationship with God. We don't truly have fellowship with other believers. We're only fooling ourselves. We're only fooling ourselves. You know, if, it, man, if the, you know, the, the day you became a Christian, right, if some things about your life didn't change, right, uh, and, and you just kind of persist on in that, that, that darkness. When we talk about darkness, they're not, not a literal darkness, but a spiritual darkness, a moral darkness. He says God is light, right? In Him there's no moral darkness. In him, there's no spiritual darkness. There's no evil in God. Uh, he's all light. He's all good. Uh, he's omnibenevolent, which means he, he's completely and totally good. Uh, there's no darkness in him. There's no evil in him. It says if you want to walk with God, if you want to fellowship with God, you've also got to walk in the light. 
that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect all the time, right? But you should be trying uh, to live in a way that pleases God, trying to man, eliminate that kind of darkness and immorality and sin from your life and live in a way uh, that's going to, going to make God happy, that's going to please him, that's going to help grow that relationship with God. And he says, if you claim to have fellowship with God, but nothing in your life's changed, man, you're only fooling yourself, right? If When you gave your heart to Christ and you said, okay, I'm going to start living as a Christian, if you didn't stop man, any of the sins and stop messing around with any of the stuff you're messing around with, if nothing about your life changed, if it looks exactly the same, John says, man, you're only kidding yourselves. Man, you're only lying to yourself, right? It's not real. When you really give your life over to Christ, man, he gets it all. Uh, and he's going to change some things, right? He's going to shift some things around. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. We can't have fellowship with God and continue to pursue all the things that we did before we were a Christian, right? We can't be close to God and continue on in sin. Serving our own desires, serving our own passions, even though we're never going to be totally perfect until heaven, God understands that. He's patient with us. He's gracious towards us. Even though we're never going to be totally perfect and sinless until heaven, our fellowship with God should be a process of purifying us from sin. Right? Every day we should look a little more like Jesus. You know, every day we should be sinning a little less, a little less, a little less. Right? And, and we won't be perfect till heaven. Right? God, God understands that. And even when you give your heart to, to Christ and God forgives you and cleanses you, you've still got this body. You've still got this flesh, right, with, with all of its wrong desires, right, with all of its uh, man, man, sinful desires, sinful passions that you're constantly going to struggle with. Uh, but the process of, of growing in a relationship with God, you should see the sin in your life decrease, right, and the holiness in your life increase. And that process is, is, is kind of summed up in this big word called sanctification. You guys ever heard that word? Sanctification. <clears throat> Uh, sanctification is a big word, but we're going to explain what it means. It's an important word for you to understand. Uh, to sanctify something just means to make it holy. To make it holy. Holy just means set apart, right? And in this case, set apart for God. Right? When, when you give your life uh, to Jesus, say, say, Jesus, would you save me from my sins? Would you make me right with God? Um, he does. And he sets you apart as holy. Now, you belong to God. You don't belong to yourself. Right? Your, your God is to do, to do what he pleases with, for him to direct your life, for him to uh, do with you what he pleases. You're holy, you're set apart from him, and that process of being made holy is called sanctification. Sanctification. So when you, when you see the word sanctification, man, it's a big word, lots of syllables, don't be scared. It just means that's the process by which God is making you holy. It's the process by which God is making you more like Jesus. The process by which God is, is removing sin from your life, uh, and purifying your life, giving you that pure heart and the pure life that's going to please and honor God. And I say it's a process uh, because man, when, when you become a Christian, do you magically stop sinning? No. Sin in your life should decrease, right? But man, there's still going to be those days where you fall flat on your face and you totally blow it and you give him temptation and you're like, oh God, I can't believe it, I blew it. Right? That's, man, he, God, God knows and he's patient. Um, sanctification, it's instantaneous, but it's also a process. It's instantaneous in the sense that when you put your trust in Jesus and say, Jesus, would you save me from my sins? Instantly, instantly you are forgiven. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see uh, man, man, all, all the times you've let him down. When he looks at you because of the blood of Christ, and your life is pure. He sees his son, his daughter, totally pure, totally clean, sinless, blameless, instantly sanctified, instantly made holy, uh, because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
but it's also a process, right? Because even though you're instantly made holy, uh, man, the next day you're going to be tempted to sin again. And the next day you're going to be tempted to sin again. And sometimes you're going to give in to that temptation, and sometimes you're going to do things you know you're not supposed to, and then what do we do, right? And so that, that's why when we talk about sanctification being a process, uh, you know, it, it's not just a, you pray a prayer one time, and then all of a sudden you're good, right? It's, it's a daily struggle to overcome sin and draw closer to God, a daily uh, man, pursuit of Jesus, saying, saying, Jesus, I want more of you in my life and less of me. Jesus, I want you to increase, and I want me and, and, and my, my pride and my selfishness and my sinful desires to decrease. More of you, less of me. That's sanctification. John continues in verse 8. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Again, he says in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So John says, man, we ought to be walking in the light. We ought to be walking, living in such a way uh, that our lives are becoming increasingly more pleasing to God. We shouldn't be increasing towards sin. Our lives should look different as believers. I mean, if I, if I, if I look at your life and, and your life looks exactly the same as the non-Christian's life and you can't tell any difference between the two, uh, John would say, are you really a Christian or are you just fooling yourself? Right? If I, if I give my heart to Christ and nothing changes about my life and I still, man, I still give over to the same old sins, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to walk in purity, I'm not trying to walk in the light, uh, John would say, man, are, are you really a believer or are you just fooling yourself? Um, you know, so, so as we walk in the light, we should see sin diminish in our life as we grow closer to God. Uh, but if anyone says to you that they don't sin at all, well, that person is a liar, right? The Bible says so, right? If someone says, man, no, I don't sin at all, I don't struggle with any sins. Well... Now, everybody does, right? Every single person does. Every single person uh, man, man, has days uh, where, where, where they give into temptation, where they blow it, times that they're prideful, times that they're selfish, times that they mouth off at a friend, a family member, a coworker. Uh, they, 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 get, they get frustrated. They get, man, say something hateful, mean, you know, cuss somebody out, and you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. That wasn't very Christian-like. Uh, man, man have, have times that, that, that we give in to, man, temptation to, to lust and sexual sin and those kind of things. Man, that's something every single one of us struggles with. Uh, and John says, if you say you don't struggle with that, then I'm just going to tell you to your face, you're lying, right? You're not fooling anybody. Uh, that every single one of us um, has to wrestle with this issue of sin. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the human condition. Every single person sins. There's only one perfect person, right? And that was Jesus. Only one perfect person. That was Jesus. Only one person who lived this life without sin. Uh, every, every single one of us, though, uh, man, we're going we're gonna to struggle with sin. We're going to struggle with temptation. There's going to be times, no matter how hard we try, that, that we're going to blow it. We're going to mess up. Uh, and the good news... Um, man, here, here in, in 1 John, is there in verse 9, that, that when we blow it, and we confess that to God, and He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Right? That we, that we, every single one of us has that dilemma, this problem of sin. That we want to be close to God, but our sin separates us from God. Um, and we know we can't fellowship with God if we continue in sin. John says it's a problem every single one of us has. But then the good news is there in verse 9. If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Or your translation might say, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we confess to him, he's faithful. Right? So, so when we mess up, when we blow it, uh, and, and, and we start feeling that conviction, we know we've done wrong, 
Um, the, the right response in that moment is, is to come to the Lord in prayer and say, God, God, I blew it. God, I messed up. I'm confessing it. I'm owning it. I'm not in denial. I'm not going to blame someone else. Say, no, no, Juan made me sin. It's his fault, right? Uh, no, 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 it's my, my fault. I'm owning it. I'm confessing it. God, God I blew it. Um, confessing that to the Lord. So sometimes we're tempted when we sin to do the opposite, though, right? To distance ourselves from God because we're embarrassed. Because we feel guilty. Because we feel ashamed. We don't feel like we deserve God's love. So we get real, real far from God uh, when we sin. John says, don't do that. Don't do that. Man, when you blow it and you realize, man, I've really messed up, uh, the first place we should go is to God in prayer. And just own it and say, God, God, I blew it. Um, God, please have mercy on me. Please forgive me. And the good news is, he does. He does. We just need to confess it to him. We need to own it. Right? And say, say God, I messed up. It's nobody's fault but mine. Um, God, God, I did wrong. And again, John tells us every single one of us sins. Every single one of us sins. And if you wonder, kind of, what am I doing in my life? That might be considered a sin. I mean, a good way to reflect on it is just to kind of run through the Ten Commandments in your head. The first two commandments are about uh, man, having no other gods before God and, and not worshiping any graven images. Thinking, is there anything in my life uh, that is getting more of my focus, more of my attention, more of my affection than God? Right? Anything in my life that's kind of become a higher priority than my pursuit of God? And if so, that thing's become an idol for me, and, and, and yeah, that, that's a sin that I need to confess to God. Um, man, have I honored my, my father and mother? Uh, have, I, have I blocked out time to rest during the week and reconnect with God? Or has it been a million years since I've read the Bible? Uh, it's collecting dust on a shelf. Uh, I can't remember the last time I prayed. You hear me? Um, you know, someone said, well, I, I'm good on the not murder one. I don't think I've murdered anybody. But, but, then, but then Jesus says, man, if, if you've even man, got hate and bitterness in your heart towards someone, it's like you murdered them in your heart, right? Man, you, know, you cussed out the coworker. Uh, it, it's like you murdered them in your heart, man. That's something to say, God, God I blew it. Um, you know, Jesus says if, if you've lusted after someone, it's like you committed adultery in your heart. That's something to confess to God. God, my thought life's not been good. I've been entertaining sexual thoughts that I know I shouldn't have. I've been looking at stuff online I know I shouldn't have. I've been messing around with my boyfriend, girlfriend, doing things I know I shouldn't have. God, God I'm confessing it. God, I'm owning it. Please forgive me. Have mercy on me. Right? If, if we've been greedy, if we've been prideful, if we've been selfish, if we bear false witness, right? If we've said things that aren't true. Every single one of us, right? There's times that we've twisted the truth to make us sound a little bit better. Um, but, but no one, man, we lied. And that's something to confess to God. Say, God, please forgive me. And then the good news is, the good news is there in verse 9, is that when we confess, he's going to forgive you. Faithful and just. Faithful means he's going to do it every time, right? That you're not going to walk up to God in prayer and you say, sorry, you used up all the forgiveness. You're done. There, there's no hope for you now. Bye, right? You did it too many times. You blew it too many times. Now, faithful means he's going to do it every time because he loves you, right? God identifies throughout the scripture as a loving father uh, and identifies you as his son, you as his daughter that he loves. Uh, and he loves you so much uh, that, that whenever you humble yourself and, and, and confess your sins, he's going to forgive you every time. Man, every time you turn, turn to God and you're feeling guilty, you're feeling ashamed, you're dejected, you're thinking, man, is God going to accept me this time? And you look up to him, he's got his arms wide open saying, man, I was ready for you to come back. I was wondering when you were going to come back. Um, He's ready there to meet you, to embrace you, to forgive you. You know, so I've got, uh, Jack and I have three children. I mentioned Thomas. We've also got two daughters, Cadence and Hannah. Um, I love those kids so much, right? Um, man, man I, uh, I mentioned Thomas a lot just because he, he's my firstborn. He's my boy. Uh, this guy, I love him like crazy. And I want to tell you this. There's nothing he could do that would ever make me stop loving him. 
There's nothing he can do. That's not, that's not something that's in his power. right? He can't do anything that's going to make me stop loving him. Now, he can irritate me, and he does uh, sometimes. Uh, he, can get, he can get in trouble, and there's going to be consequences, but there's nothing, nothing he can do that's going to make me stop loving him. Um, he could burn the house down. And I would be upset. I'd, I'd probably be a little emotional. But would I stop loving him? No. No. no I there would be consequences for that, yeah. But am I going to stop loving him? No. And so, so man, if, if he messes up and he comes to me and, says, and he realizes it, and he says, Dad, man, I blew it. I messed up. And, and, and he, he's repentant and he's sorry. Uh, and of course I'm going to forgive him because I love him like crazy. Um, how much more does our Father in Heaven who's perfect, right, that isn't, doesn't have my own selfishness and pride and stuff I struggle with, how much does your perfect God in Heaven love you even more? And that when you confess to Him, uh, say, man, I was wondering when you were going to come to me with that. Uh, of course I forgive you. And I love you. Welcome home. I'm so glad you're back. Every time. That's what faithful means. That means He's going to do it every time. You're never going to show up uh, before God's throne in prayer and, and confess a sin and be like, no, I'm done with you. You sin too much. Get out. Right? You're never going to hear that from the Lord. Uh, you, you're you're going to hear, man, I forgive you, and I love you, and I accept you. Uh, welcome back. It says he's faithful, and he's also just. He's also just that God's forgiveness to you is a just act. Uh, and, and really, if you think about it, that's, that's mind-blowing, uh, that, that, that it's just for God to forgive us. Um, when God forgives you, he's just not ignoring your sin. He's not just ignoring your mistake. He's not looking the other way and say, oh, you know, Anna stole from somebody, but I'm just going to pretend I didn't see that, right? Sometimes we love people that way. Sometimes we love people and they, they get on, some things they do get on our nerves, so we just pretend, we just have to ignore that. We just have to compartmentalize and I'm going to love you, but if I'm going to love you, I have to ignore this part of you. Um, that's not how God loves us, right? He's not turning a blind eye to our sin. Uh, that sin that you're dealing with has been paid for. It's been punished. Right? The, the, the time has been paid. That debt has been paid. Only the good news of the gospel is you don't pay it. Jesus paid it. Right? When Jesus hung on the cross and when he suffered and bled and died for us, um, and God laid all the penalty for our sin on Jesus. He laid all the punishment that we deserve for everything we've ever done wrong and ever will do wrong. He laid that on Jesus instead. So that sin that you committed, it's already been paid for. Right? Uh, there, there, there's no longer any sentence, any time that you've got to serve. That debt has been paid. So when you come to God and confess your sins, God can forgive you, and it's just that he forgives you because uh, he's not going to make you serve a sentence that's already been served, right? He's not going to make you pay a debt that's already been paid. So yeah, Jesus already paid for that debt. So, so you're, you're forgiven, clean slate, fresh start. Uh, it's like it never happened, right? He's faithful, and he's just. It says to forgive us, right? To, to, to forgive us, to release us from that debt, and then cleanse us. Make us clean. Purify our hearts. Cleanse us of all wickedness. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Give us a clean heart and a fresh start. And every single one of us has times that we need a fresh start. Every single one of us has times where, God, I just need you to give me a clean heart. You know, the psalmist David, he said, create in me a clean heart. Right? Create in me a new heart, a pure heart, uh, that I might not sin against God. That my heart has just gotten worn out and ugly from the world. Right? 20 how many years, you know, for me it's 30-something years walking through the world. Uh, my heart's just gotten gross and ugly. God created me a new heart. Purify me from wickedness. Purify me from unrighteousness. I need a brand new heart. I need you to cleanse me. And that's what Jesus does. He, he forgives us and he cleanses us. It's God that cleanses us and purifies us. We can't do it ourselves. Man, there's nothing we can do uh, to, to deal with this sin problem in ourselves. God does it for us. Sanctification isn't just trying real hard not to sin. 
Right? That's, a, that's, not, that's not sanctification. Just trying real hard. God, I'm going to try real hard today not to sin. I'm going to do everything I can do. I'm not going to sin. I'm just going to try real, real hard. That's not sanctification. Right? It's not you trying real hard. Because you're not going to be able to. Right? Not, not in your own strength. Uh, but rather, it's surrendering to the Lord. And allowing Him to order your life. Allowing Him to order your priorities. Uh, allowing Him to satisfy those deep desires of your heart. So that you don't end up giving in to this temptation and that temptation to meet, to meet your needs. Right? It's allowing God to, to, to say, I'm going to order your life this way. Allowing God to say, uh, because you belong to me, I'm going to set new priorities for you, new things for you to pursue. Uh, chief among those pursuing him and pursuing a relationship with him. Uh, he's going to be the one that's going to satisfy uh, your need to be loved. Man, so you, you, don't, you don't commit all kinds of sins chasing after love where you don't need to be chasing after it. Right? He's the one that wants to satisfy those deep needs of your soul. You know, last year we went through a series in Jeremiah and looked at this illustration of the fountain. God describes himself as a fountain of living water that we can just come to and drink and drink and drink and drink deeply and he'll satisfy all those deep needs you have. When we come to God in prayer, it's us coming to that fountain, sticking our face in and just drinking uh, and then not leaving until he's satisfied those things. So when we're walking through this life, uh, we're walking through satisfied. Man, so when the enemy tries to tempt us with something, we're like, nah, I'm good, right? I'm good, I don't need that. Uh, you know, when our flesh tries to tempt us with something, say, no, I'm satisfied. God's satisfied that in me. Uh, it's, like, it's like on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day, right after you Thanksgiving dinner. How do you feel? I need, to, I need the stretchy pants, right? I'm stuffed. Uh, it's, like, it's like going over to the, to, to the fast food store um, and going, going to the uh, uh, Kroger or the gas station right after you've had that Thanksgiving meal and you just feel so stuffed. It's like, if I eat another bite, I'll literally explode. Uh, and then walking by the, the, the Cheetos or the Fritos, uh, you know, and they're, they're trying, normally they'd tempt you, right? Normally you'd be like, go on Fritos, go on and get in my cart. Uh, but, but you are so full that you're like, ah, oh, I can't even, I don't even want to look at you, right? That's how God wants to satisfy you. He wants to fill you up, stuff you so much with himself, satisfy all those desires you have. So when you're walking through life and some sin tries to tempt you, you're like, no, I'm stuffed, I'm good, I'm good, I don't need it, right? That's what God wants to do for you. Um, he wants to fill you that way. He wants to satisfy you that way uh, to help you overcome sin. And another thing that's going to help with our sanctification is this issue of accountability. Accountability. Bouncing back to verse 7, 1 John 1, 7. John talks about fellowship with one another as we walk in the light. So why would John bring back up this idea of fellowship? Why is he bringing back fellowship here? It's because fellowship is a vital, vital part of our sanctification. We need each other. It's as simple as that. We need each other. Christianity is a team sport. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. There's no solo Christians. That's not a thing, right? It's a team sport. We need each other. I need you. You need him. He needs her. We need each other, right? We've got to have each other. Uh, we're, we're community. We're family. Christianity is only made to be done in community. There's no, no solo Christianity. There's no, it's just me and God and that's all I need. Nope, right? That, that, that's not biblical, right? No, we need each other. We need our brothers and sisters. That's why John brings up fellowship again. We need that encouragement. Right? And we need that accountability. And what, what is accountability? It's just, it's just people that are going to check in uh, with you and, and help you with those areas where you're struggling, those temptations, those sins you're struggling with. Uh, and ha having, having brothers, having sisters that can come around you and pray with you about those things, can check in on those things. Um, you know, it's, it's, man, I know I'm struggling with an issue, so I say, hey, Brandon, would you pray for me? Um, I'm having real trouble with XYZ issue and I appreciate your prayers appreciate your encouragement and says yeah of course and he prays with me later that week man he calls me up or texts me and says hey how are, you, how are you doing with this issue I've been thinking about just oh thanks for checking in uh, that's accountability right we're checking in on each other's lives 
We're praying for each other. Uh, and that's going to help so much uh, with overcoming sin. Right? That if my sin's a secret thing and nobody knows about it, right, that that, that struggle's going to be all the harder. Right? But, but, but if I make it known to a brother, make it known to a sister, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm a lady, a sister, right? if I'm a guy, I'm making it known to a brother. And they can be praying with me and, and they can be going through it with me. Uh, if I know Brandon's going to call me on Friday and ask, how have you been doing with, with this sin struggle? I'm going to want to be telling them that I did good, right? So that's going to make me all the more, give me all the more uh, yeah, strength to, to, to do well. And then, of course, his prayers are going to strengthen me and lift me up. Um, in Calfa, I like to use the example of proofreading, right? Every single one of you in English class probably had the experience of you write out a paper, write out an essay, write out a rough draft, and then your English teacher says, I want you to pass that to a neighbor so they can proofread it, right? And you get another student's paper to proofread. Why does the teacher have you do that? To catch the mistakes, right? To catch spelling mistakes, grammar mistakes. And sometimes they're real simple mistakes, right? Sometimes they're super basic spelling things like, oh, how did I mess that up? Or real simple grammar stuff like, oh, how did I not catch that? Why was, why was your neighbor able to catch it when you weren't? What did you say? A fresh set of eyes. Honestly, you're too close to it. You've been staring at that essay for two hours, right? You're too close to it, so you're going to miss just silly little mistakes, right? But a fresh set of eyes looks at it and says, oh, man, I, I noticed you didn't mean to use that word. You meant to use this word. You didn't mean to, to use the plural there. That should be the singular. And you catch those, those small mistakes that, that, that you can't see in your own paper because you're too close to it. In the same way, you are too close to your own life to see all the errors and mistakes. You're just too close to it, right? You, you'll make justifications if you, if you even notice it at all. Sometimes we got big old blind spots, right? You can see your friend's blind spots, but you can't see your own blind spots. That's why they're blind spots. We need proofreaders, right? We need that kind of friend where I can come up and say, Justin, I want to give you permission to proofread my life, right? I know I'm not perfect. I know I've got struggles. Uh, would you be a good friend and gently, lovingly, when you see that I'm, I'm messing up somewhere, would you point that out? Proofread each other's life. That's all accountability is. Let someone proofread your life. Again, lovingly, kindly, patiently, uh, not, not aggressively, not like, bam, like a whack-a-mole as soon as you see something. Uh, but say, hey, I've noticed this about you. Uh, I can see this maybe becoming a problem, or I've been noticing you've been doing this lately. That's not really like you. You want to talk about that? And uh, Again, you've given them permission, right? To, you've invited them into your life that way. That is going to help so much with overcoming sin and temptation. So much. Uh, having that fresh set of eyes, having that accountability partner that's going to pray with you, going to help you, and then, and then you can help them uh, so, so much. So that's why John man, gives that call back to fellowship. Say, we walk in the light together. Man, we have fellowship together when we walk in the light. And we started the series last week saying that John's purpose in writing this letter is so that we would experience complete joy through a relationship with God. Uh, the reason that he immediately goes and touches on this issue of sin and forgiveness from sin is because he knows that we're never going to experience real and complete joy while we're carrying around that weight of guilt and shame over our sin. Right? That, that, that weight is going to weigh us down so much we're never going to experience the fullness of all that God has for us. He's saying, I'm writing to you because I want your life to be full of joy. I want your joy to be complete. But if you're carrying around sin and carrying around all that guilt, all that shame, you're never going to have complete joy. But the good news is, if you confess that to God, He's faithful and just. He's going to forgive you. He's going to cleanse you. You know, shame and guilt over sin becomes a burden that makes it impossible to experience what God has for you. But Jesus wants to take that burden. He never intended you to carry that weight. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11. This will be our last verse. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry what? 
heavy burdens. And he says, I'll give you rest. So those burdens you're carrying around, the stress and anxiety of life, the pressure of life, and certainly your guilt, your shame, that stuff that's going to weigh you down, make it impossible for you to pursue God, make it impossible for you to experience peace and joy. Give those burdens to me. Right? If you're weary, if you're worn out, if you're carrying those things, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. Give me your guilt. Give me your shame. And in exchange, I'll give you grace. I'll give you forgiveness. I'll give you purity, righteousness, peace, joy. That's the exchange. And give me your burdens. Give me your shame. Give me your guilt. Give me your sin. And in exchange, you get grace. You get joy. That's the good news of the gospel, right? That's what Jesus has done for us. That's what Jesus did for us by dying on the cross, right? That, that's, that's what Jesus did for us, raising from the dead. Uh, he says, you can put your trust in me, and I'll give you rest. I'll take those burdens, and you can experience the fullness of joy that God has for you in this life, and then eternal life in heaven with God when this life is over. We're never going to experience complete joy while we carry those burdens, but we confess it to God, and we can be forgiven and freed by His grace. And you might say, Matt, but you don't know what I've done, right? And you, you don't, you're talking about these things, but you don't know what I've done, right? And if you knew what I'd done, this, this can't possibly apply to me, right? That, 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 that there's no way God can accept me with my past. Uh, now I tell you, it's not true. It's not true. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your background is, man, this is an offer that's extended to every single human being that's ever lived. It doesn't matter how big you've blown it. It doesn't matter. God says you can have a fresh start. You can have a clean heart today, tonight. Before you leave this room, you can be forgiven, cleansed, and that burden of guilt, that burden of shame you've been carrying around, that, that those thoughts you carried around that, man, these people wouldn't even like me if they knew the real me. And if, if, they, if they knew all the stuff that I did in, in secret and no, no one in here would even want to hang around me. All that, all that guilt that, that's been weighing us down, God says, man, I want to take all of that away. I want you to walk out of here free, right, without any of those burdens, right, with the bounce in your step and full of, full of peace, full of joy. Um, God can forgive you. God can give you a fresh start.